Welcome to the Early Value NFL Betting Podcast, Week 11. Tonight, I've got a returning guest, and it's Matt Landers from the Props and Hops Podcast and also the BetUS NFL Show. Matt, how are we, mate? Ross, I'm doing great. It's awesome to be back on with you, and you've just been killing it with your guests over the course of the season, <laughs> so it's an honor to be asked to come back on the show. Also got to say a savvy move on your part, the Chiefs fan, bringing back the Chargers fan now that Kansas City has reclaimed its rightful spot atop the division. So I see what you're doing there, but happy to play the part. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You got me. Got me while I could uh, while I could celebrate now. That's right. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I've had some uh, terrific guests on, starting from Fabian in week one, yourself in week two, and yeah, and then it spiraled from, from there, really. So it's it has been really good. Um, everyone has been so so forthcoming in in coming on and that, and especially yourself. So, uh, so, so yeah, I did. It's actually because I had Jeff Weinberg on as well, and he's a big Chargers fan as well. So, so yeah, I've got a bit of a thing with Chargers fans coming on the uh, show this season. By the sounds of it, <laughs> yeah, just keep punching down. Yeah, that's right. What has what? How do you feel? What's happened to the Chargers over the last few weeks? Do you feel something I, go, I, gone? Yeah. Initially I was, you know, I I think overall like Anthony Lynn to Brandon Staley, like no question about it. I I really like a lot of things that we've seen from Staley early on. It is still his first year as the head coach. Um, But beyond him on the staff, I'm afraid that Joe Lombardi was handed the keys to a Ferrari and he's driving it like a minivan because Justin Herbert, even after the bye, um, you know, even when they're throwing it on early downs, it's really short. And I feel like he has the arm just to, you know, to do some special things that I know everybody who's quarterbacking in the NFL, obviously elite arm talent and all that, but Herbert has got a lot to bring to the table and Staley's talked about really just putting the offense on his shoulders. And then it seems like Lombardi wants to keep the kid gloves on. So I don't know what's going on there exactly. I mean, they're, they're on the inside running this thing with a lot more access to information than any of us have from the outside. So I want to trust that they're doing the right thing. But it's just tough every week seeing, you know, check downs or still some running plays. I, I would just love to see the Chargers in more third and twos instead of third and eights. Or sometimes, you know, it's okay to get a first down when you're snapping the ball on first down and not even worry about a third or fourth down. Yeah. So it's great that Staley will go for it when, you know, the situation calls for it. But sometimes, you know, why are we even getting to these late downs time after time and just leaving the door open to something going wrong? So kind of tough on that sense but then again if you're a Chargers fan you know this this is the existence and I still think you know if not this season the you know the near-term horizon still feeling pretty good about yeah I I think so as we probably said in week two I think there's many good battles ahead with the Mahomes and Herbert eras in the AFC West Um, Denver obviously started off hot slipped away a little bit and I think they'll be again maybe looking at some quarterback issues coming into this offseason Raiders, uh, I don't know really what to say. Obviously, everything that's going on there most recently that I'm not sure where we see them now if they, they sort of drop. But but yeah, going back to charge, obviously, Mike Williams started off the season so well and he's gone a bit of a miss the last few games. Keenan Allen, still so good. You're not going to really see much of a dip in someone like Keenan Allen. He's way too good of a receiver not to always demand respect from every team who he plays against. But I'm surprised at the, the drop-off in production from Mike Williams because the way he started the season, I was expecting him to really go on and, and have a big year. The last couple of weeks, he's uh, dropped off a little bit. 
Yeah, health is always a concern with him, and, and Staley's trying to downplay any concerns about a knee injury that he's been working through. Also, just from a matchup standpoint, teams have started to, you know, notice what Williams was doing early in the season, and maybe they're shadowing him and, and trying to take away some of the explosive plays. So part of it may be matchup dependent. The defenses now know what they need to take away. Part of it may be health dependent. It always seems to be with a guy like Williams. And part of it, honestly, I know just as humans in general, we love to try to make sense of anything we can to kind of put it in a nice logical box. I certainly, you know, am prone to that as well. But sometimes it's just, yeah, it's a 17 game season now and he'll have good stretches and rough stretches and it could be a combination of things. So I don't know what exactly is going on now. I know he's still, you know, an elite talent and, and hopefully they can get him healthy and make the most of the matchups thrown their way. I think that might tie in with letting Herbert throw the ball downfield a bit more, you know, even if things aren't wide open, just taking some more chances. So hopefully that's, you know, in the cards for them coming up pretty soon here. Yeah, because with Goiton and, and Palmer, I, I thought we would have seen maybe a bit more, a bit more from them as well. And maybe that's what's hurting them, that they're not getting enough out of what's left behind Williams and Allen at wide receiver. I know obviously Donald Parnum's making a lot more plays at tight end with Cook and obviously you've got Eckler. So there's plenty of weapons there, but I still think ideally a bit a bit like the Chiefs with Kelson Hill behind them, they're all just a bit no one to move the needle really. And that and I think that's probably what both teams are sort of crying out for is is someone to take that little bit of weight off them at wide receiver to to maybe free up some of this shadow in or double double coverage or what they're doing and that. Yeah, you mentioned a guy like Parham. He's a good, you know, big target, certainly in the red zone. We've seen him make some big plays in the end zone this season. I also think their rookie receiver, Josh Palmer, it seemed like a bit of a reach perhaps when they took him, but he's been making some plays. He had a good, you know, big time catch in the game against Minnesota this past Sunday. And I like what I see from him, but it seems like a lot of guys of similar mold where, um, you know, more possession type receivers. That's where the Mike Williams thing becomes more perplexing. It's like, that's the one guy who might threaten to take the top off the defense. So a lot of good players, but maybe they have a lot of overlap in their skill sets. So, you know, over time, I like to think they'll diversify that a bit and, you know, find ways to become less vulnerable to whatever a defense wants to throw their way. Um, but for the time being, you know, still no shortage of talent, even if there is some duplication in terms of, you know, the best of what some of these guys bring to the table. Yeah, perfect. Right, after uh, talking about them Chargers, now the uh, Chiefs are <laughs> top of the division. Another week of a few decent shocks. Obviously, the Ravens starting off the, the week last Thursday, losing to Miami and probably killing off most, most teasers before we even got to the Sunday action of games. Yeah, I, I was part of that, had the Ravens teased, and uh, it just, it's weird. Not only have we seen so many upsets the last couple of weeks, but oftentimes if a big favorite's trailing, you're just waiting for them to make that run and make a game of it. And I know Baltimore, I mean, kind of in garbage time, threatened to make it close. They still showed a bit of a pulse until the very end. But even going back to that Denver upset over Dallas, you know, that's like, okay, it's 16 nothing, it's 23 nothing. You're just waiting for the Cowboys to make their run. Uh, even last night when the, you know, the Rams just were getting stomped by San Francisco, some of these bigger upsets that we've seen, it's not even the team that's, you know, heavily favored once they start trailing, making a run to make a game of it. It just doesn't even become a game. So yeah. the league kind of seems upside down these past couple of weeks, but, you know, when everybody's talking about how weird things are, 
I feel like that's the hallmark of an NFL season right around this time. The weird thing would almost be if there wasn't anything that seems so strange. And this is just the hand we're working with in 2021. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, even with that, you've obviously got Washington beating the books. I mean, they forced a couple of turnovers, but they really did do a fantastic job of keeping Brady off the field in, in that game. It seemed like they that he was after they scored that second touchdown, Tampa Bay, that they did a great job in not letting him get back on the field. Yeah, it's I mean, just the death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, I guess if you get three yards every time you just hand the ball off, you're running the clock and you're staying on the field for a really long time. And generally, that's not a recipe for success against the Bucks run defense. But when you get a couple turnovers and can add a couple big plays on top of it. Yeah, I mean, Washington, the previous couple of weeks was just running into terrible negative variance on third and fourth downs and in the red zone. I mean, they could have beaten the Packers outright in a game they lost by a Definitely. couple of touchdowns. They, they could have beaten Denver outright in the game they lost by seven. So they were losing and not just losing, but not covering. And I think the market might have cooled on them um, a bit more than Washington deserved. And then it just, you know, it all came back in a positive way, you know, in one fell swoop this weekend. So sometimes you like to see, you know, maybe sustained value on a team where um, if you're onto something ahead of the market, they're not just suddenly blowing out a team as a big underdog and yeah. there goes all the value in one game. I know with the Chiefs, like when you uh, brought on Drew and he talked about wanting to see them win, but not win too big over the Raiders. Well, you see 41 to 14, and then everybody kind of thinks the Chiefs might be back. So uh, it's just crazy the ebb and flows of a season. But yeah, Washington, you know, one of the latest examples last week, kind of shocking a lot of people who just figured the Bucks were on the fast track to the one seed. And, and now we don't even know in either conference if anybody wants the one seed, by the way, it, it looks Definitely. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little while because uh, that, that's right. It is cr working out crazy. The uh, the Lions get a toy, stop the uh, stop the run of, uh, of losing. So is that now, is that their season high done? And it's back to, uh, <laughs> back, back to, back to losing now for the rest of the way, or can they, can they take any sort of momentum from this and, and try and build from it? Obviously Cleveland this week's not, not getting them off to an, an easier run. Yeah, I mean, I'm tempted to say, well, they're double-digit underdogs in Cleveland, but the way we've seen double-digit dogs perform the past couple of weeks, I'm not just going to blindly put too much stock in that. I think one of the more interesting things I heard, I thought it was a joke, um, but evidently Jared Goff has not won a game as a starting quarterback when Sean McVay has not been his head coach. And my first thought was, well, wait a sec, Jeff Fisher was there when they drafted Goff. Yeah. Um, so not, not just the lions run, but, but even, I mean, it's, it's just uncanny and yeah, I, it, it might be the high point of their season in terms of one game that they don't lose, but um, you know, the story early on with the lions and it continues to hold true that they'll compete pretty hard, but when you're just devoid of so much talent um, yeah, at a certain point, I mean, there's enough of the year left. It's no surprise at all if they win a game or two and I'll be happy for them if they do, but um, I, I don't know when you, when you come off a tie, I know they were big underdogs there but I, I struggle to see too much room for maybe momentum coming off of a tie. That seems like a result that neither team is ever too thrilled about. Narrative-wise, I have in my head, Thanksgiving is such a big night for Dan Campbell and that Lions team. The way he's been with getting everyone pumped up and then it's going to be a national TV game, Thanksgiving Day, I just wonder if we're going to see a big effort come that game. And it kind of makes me want to play Browns this week, though, because the lines aren't going anywhere. We know that. And it's not like a look-ahead line, but I just wonder with that early game a week Thursday on Thanksgiving that um, 
is is that one game they've got their eye on for a, a big home game and and hopefully getting their first win for him. Um, as I say, it's a bit narrative-y that probably not actionable. Yeah, and I, I'm not the guy to know how much to put into any narratives. I, I tend to dismiss it. But when I look at that game, I say, okay, you know, Chicago's going to be traveling on a short week. That's, you know, that's one of the better opponents they could hope for if they can keep Justin Fields in check. I know it's been an up and down start to his career. So, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of it's, and it, that's as short of a week as you get because they have the, at my time, it's 9.30 a.m. kickoff. It's not even the Thursday night game. Like this is an early Thursday game. So that's, you know, it's basically one full day extra that the road team's not getting the benefit of. So just in narrative wise, I'm sure the Lions will play their hardest. I, I, I'm not sure that the Bears won't also try to put yeah. their best foot forward. So I'm not going to read too much into that. But just just the situation Detroit's getting with that early home game with this opponent. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're saying, are they going to have, you know, any better shot to win a game the rest of the way? Maybe not, but it's been such a crazy season. I just don't want to, you know, try to project too far out what, you know, what we're going to be able to make heads or tails of at this stage. I, I just think that it's shaping up to be a pretty entertaining game right now. Look at headlines, but I'm seeing, uh, you know, only a three point spread favoring yeah. the Bears and total of 45. So it might be a, a touch low scoring and pretty close all the way through. And if that's the case, then that would be a great way to get the Thanksgiving triple header rolling. And, and you'll be on your craft beer at that 9.30 in the morning. I'll be fully expecting <laughs> <laughs> Not Not quite, but we're getting close. I'll at least be keeping a close eye on uh, everything in the fridge to make sure we've got the right lineup ready. Maybe when the Raiders and Cowboys kick off, that's when we start to pick things oh, up no, quite a bit. Oh, it's about 20 past one in the morning for us, that is. So uh, that'll be when I'm <laughs> kicking things down, that will be. <laughs> um, Matthew Stafford seemed to uh, play like he thought he was playing for the Lions last night. He seemed to revert back to... <laughs> Maybe Matty Stafford at the Lions. Yeah, it's been interesting to hear lately. So with the Bet US NFL show I'm hosting, um, it's such an honor to work with Las Vegas Chris and Scott Callen, some professional bettors out in Vegas. And uh, not only are they really sharp, they're just really genuinely good people to work with. And Chris, as a Lions fan, uh, I think he might be onto something that's getting short shrift right now. It seems like Stafford's uh, you know, back ailment might be a little bit more severe than anybody's letting on. So just hearing that from Chris, I think that might be why he seems lower on the Rams than the rest of the market. Uh, there was a moment on our show last Friday, I wish I could take back, where he said that he had both the Saints and the Patriots power rated higher than the Rams. And I just looked at him like he was crazy. And I said, oh, I'd want yeah. to bet my mortgage on the Rams against either of those two teams on a neutral field. I mean, New Orleans gets everything in the book that could go against them does. They still cover in Tennessee the Patriots with a statement game of the week and the Rams no showed last night. So kind of, you know, Chris coming out of that back and forth, looking, you know, looking like he is indeed, you know, he's the pro better between yeah. the two of us. So I wonder if there's something going on health wise with Stafford that we're just not hearing a lot about right now. McVay, um, you know, great at, you know, designing plays and all that, but sometimes in game decision-making is just leaving a lot to be desired. So nobody's looking invincible. We thought the Rams and the Bucks were, you know, going to be destined for a rematch in the NFC title game after a really interesting matchup early on this season in LA. And that might still be the case, but things are just so wide open right now. And yeah, Stafford and the Rams, certainly a bit of a setback after what we saw from them last night. Definitely. And are the uh, Patriots dynasty back? 
<laughs> this is this is crazy. Belichick just navigating the arc of a season. Uh, that's that's what I've really come to appreciate. Again, last year he yeah. he just didn't really have a defense. Uh, once Newton got COVID, you know, some guys bounce back and they're fine. Other guys, it really takes a lot out of them, even if they're back out on the field. So um, willing to take last season's Patriots results with a grain of salt. And yeah, it's really impressive to see the way that, you know, Belichick's teams in week one and two are often not what they are come, you know, week 11 where we sit now or, you know, quite possibly into the playoffs. Um, as a baseball fan, I think of them almost like the Oakland A's where I know reading Moneyball, the concept was generally for Billy Bean to spend the first two months of the season just evaluating what you've got. The next two months, go get what you need. And the final two months, play with your A team and put your best foot forward. And I feel like the Patriots are just kind of figuring things out. Um, I hope they continue to let Mac Jones, you know, do his thing a little bit more and, and get a little bit less restrictive with what they're asking of him. But they're, you know, they're a couple of really close calls away that game in Dallas. They easily could have won or against Dallas in Foxborough. Uh, again, I know Belichick's the genius, but that, that field goal at the end of the Tampa Bay game, uh, perplexing, even if they make it, the Bucs get the ball back with time to possibly go win it. Yeah. Um, but those two games were quite winnable for New England. It, you know, it's not that far fetched to think of them as more of an eight and one caliber team than, you know, what their current record would indicate. So definitely got a big arrow pointing up for them. Um, yeah, we'll see about a dynasty, but that, <laughs> that was impressive because Cleveland is the other team in the AFC that last week, I was disappointed they were playing each other because those are my two probably a most, you know, bullish teams for the future that their current records might not be indicating. Um, yeah. So Cleveland you know, kind of flatlined. We'll see what they can do against the Lions this week, but the Patriots showed up and then some. Yeah, they, they really did. Uh, it was a surprising performance from the, from the Browns and a lot of people really liked the Browns. I was one of them. I didn't end up betting them in the game. The line actually Another teaser casualty. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were ideally set up for that. But um, yeah, I mean, the Bills have got some competition. I thought... Uh, like you say, start of the season, it looked like they were clearing away, running away with that division. There's going to be some interesting games coming up in that division. They've still got a play each other twice, haven't they? So there's going to be two two nice games there for the pair of them. Um, okay, moving on to week 10. and uh, Not week 10, sorry. I'm moving on to week 11. And, Time's uh, a nebulous concept these days, so <laughs> it is. all is forgiven. <laughs> And it, it flies by. I cannot believe it's week 11. I say it every week, but it just the days and the grind on every day, it just it just sort of spirals. And before you know it, you're at another week again. You're like, wow, how have we got, how have we got here? But yeah, so week 11. And uh, selections, Matt, obviously, I know you, you were thinking of a teaser play. Yeah, and I know that for a lot of teaser bettors, there's trepidation. There are some smart bettors who I respect, who I've been connecting with, who just feel probably as fearful about teasers right now as they ever have, given the way the last two weeks have gone down. I mean, through eight weeks, it was almost unsustainable. My ROI on, you know, the standard Wong teasers crossing through three and seven in either direction, that ROI was around 20%, which is unsustainably good. And I knew that. But, you know, fast forward just a couple of weeks and it's, it's down, you know, barely above zero at this age because it's been a massacre with, you know, a lot of big favorites going down these past couple of weeks. And even the underdogs like the Browns we talked about teasing from two and a half up to eight and a half doesn't matter when you're getting steamrolled 45 to seven. Um, so I know the last two weeks have been really rough for teasers. I'm very open to, you know, any fundamental shifts um, warranting a reevaluation of the process. 
but I really feel like this is, you know, probably just a lot of noise coming at us in a short time frame. I get the trepidation, but I think, you know, when the numbers present themselves, then we should just move ahead and prioritize the long-term process over the short-term results that we've seen these past couple of weeks. So to that end, I'm looking at a teaser early on this week, and that would be taking the Saints up to plus seven and a half. I know some books uh, have you know, had them possibly favored. Some books have had the Eagles favored a bit. It's been ping-ponging between um, lately Eagles minus one, minus one and a half. It looks like a pretty solid consensus right now. Eagles minus one and a half. So let's take the Saints up through the seven. And uh, the other leg would be Minnesota up to eight and a half hosting Green Bay. As far as the Saints go, I, I just feel like in this matchup, I, I don't know. The Eagles get so much respect every week. Like yeah. there, there are, are some groups that are probably a lot sharper than I am that see something. Uh, but in this matchup, the Eagles have become more of a run first team, you know, go figure Miles Sanders goes down and that's when they decided to start running the ball. It's <laughs> been working so well. So to their credit, <laughs> yeah. it's been working for them, but the Saints run stopping on defense is about as good as it gets. So I, I like that matchup. And then defensively, the Eagles seem happy to play a pretty conservative, you know, cover two shell, pretty vanilla. And if they're going to concede the underneath stuff, then that, you know, is music to your ears. If you're looking to possibly back Trevor Simeon, that never sounds too appetizing, but if they'll give them the short, easy stuff, then I think the Saints are happy to slowly and methodically march their way down the field. And also in this game, uh, the total we're looking at right now, consensus is 43 and a half. And a low total when you're teasing an underdog up through a touchdown is good because that kind of magnifies the relative value of each point we're getting and plays a little less variance. We've seen a lot of variance the last couple of weeks with teasers, but I feel good about that dynamic in this Saints-Eagle showdown. And yeah, in the second leg, um, full disclosure, I was able to catch a rogue Vikings plus three at the start of the week. And that's the majority of my exposure on Minnesota. But that said, if you haven't had a chance to touch the Vikings yet, I do like them as a teaser candidate as well. Green Bay currently laying two and a half, so we could take Minnesota up to plus eight and a half, hosting the Packers. And when I think of it, I guess with both teams in possession of the ball, with Green Bay on offense, Aaron Rodgers last week looked like a guy who, you know, recently missed some time due to COVID. It was certainly not his best showing. And he's so good that if he bounces back fully this week, I won't be stunned. But Again, we talked about with, you know, Cam Newton last year and some of these guys, especially we know Rodgers was symptomatic. It's not always just as binary as you're out or you're in at full strength. You know, he could be playing, but not at 100% for a little while. So a bit of a free roll element there. Also, A.J. Dillon's shown us a lot to like out of that Packers backfield, but without Aaron Jones, I, I can't say that is a boost to the Packers in any way. And Minnesota's defense surprised me last week against the Chargers. They were on their second straight road game uh, on the second coast of the country in as many weeks. And the week prior in Baltimore, they went to overtime. They were on the field for 89 snaps defensively. I just thought it was going to be all sorts of fatigue for a shorthanded unit. And they really showed up. And I think that Zimmer, a, a really good defensive mind, I know he's got his shortcomings as a head coach that people are not afraid to get into. But I feel like him knowing the Packers, especially without Aaron Jones, I think he can dial up something pretty good to keep their scoreboard output at least in check enough to keep it competitive. Because when the Vikings have the ball, I mean, Justin Jefferson just every week is looking more and more impressive. He is a superstar just blooming before our eyes. And I do think that it's probably time to give the Packers defense a good look. Maybe we need to take them more seriously. It's crazy how well they seem to be performing without Jair Alexander. But I just think that Minnesota has enough to at least keep this one competitive. I view it as more of a coin flip game. I would price it closer to pick them. 
So getting them up through eight and a half on a six point teaser, um, you know, gets me interested in them as a second leg to round things out with the Saints. Yeah, I do. I, I like the Vikings in this game. I must admit, I think I agree. I think that the um, they said they were going to get Jefferson more involved than they did against against the Chargers this past week. It's I just it will sort of spiral into the bet that I'm talking that I'll, I'll be taking in a minute, but. I just think that the way Viking, the Vikings are set up at the minute to the way the, the Packers are, that I think the value is more with the Vikings, definitely, in this. I mean, getting a three was ideal. Um, the three is an even better play than the, than the two and a half, having that key number. Yeah, that was a say, rogue number. Yeah, so just had I'm to not take sure it, that but... will get back. I'm not sure that will get back to three. I think it will probably stick around this sort of, sort of number. And the Eagles, you're right, it is really strange at the minute that Come Sunday, if if you like the Eagles, bet them now because come Sunday they're getting so much steam constantly at the minute. It, it it just I can't see why they're getting as much steam as what they are. And it's not that I think they're a bad team. I just it just doesn't make sense. And as you say, it's probably a lot sharper people out there than what we are. I just I I can't see see it. They're running the ball well. They're giving up a ton underneath. I mean a, a load. Denver just really missed a lot this week. Um, I, I think Saints, as you say, their run defence. Now with Victor Vey out for the Bucks, they possibly are the best run defence maybe now in the in the NFL with what a what a loss he will be for the Bucks. And when that is their really most outplay for the Eagles, I think they'll shut that down. If they put Lattimore, probably they'll put him on Devontae Smith, try and take him out of the game. Then you're left with you're left with Goddard, okay, really good tight end. But after that, you've got Quez Watkins is more of a deep threat. Jalen Rager is just I don't know, but he's he's not getting absolutely anything at the minute. Nothing at all. And then you've got the Jordan Howard that seems like uh, he's doing well for them. But uh, again, I I just I like the Saints. I think you're right. I think taking them down, um, sorry, taking them up. Um it's plus one and a half over here. So, yeah, taking them up over a touchdown. I don't see them losing by a touchdown. I would like to see them involve Taysom Hill a bit more than what they have been doing. Um, I'm not sure whether there's a reason why or maybe there's still the lasting effects of him coming back from the concussion that he had. Uh, but, yeah, I'd like to see him maybe involved a bit more in this game. But yeah, I like it. So, on on teasers, do you do... How many te- how many teasers would you say you play a week? Is it basically line dependent with the one te- teaser sort of thing? Is it when that becomes available, you automatically play it, Matt? Or... Yeah, I mean, if if somebody asks you how many teasers do I play in a week, I guess my natural follow up would be how many seven and a half to eight and a half point favorites do we have? How many one and yeah. a half to two and a half point underdogs do we have? And not all teasers are created equal. I don't want to make it too robotic. Although I will say sometimes it can sound boring. You know, some people who try to make, you know, more entertaining bets, you know, just for fun. That's fine. If somebody's having fun with, you know, play money, they can afford to lose. That's cool. But sometimes, you know, a a bet might sound boring to some people, but if I see value, uh, you know, there's nothing boring to me about a winning bet. So I'll generally look for those good numbers to get in play on. Also, especially with underdogs like this Saints Eagles game, lower totals when that you know rel- you know relatively increases the value of the points that you're getting. I like that a lot. I, I mean, I, I also look at a game this week like Dallas Kansas City. 
uh, yeah. Chiefs laying two and a half with that total at 56. I wouldn't just automatically cross that off on the grounds of being a high total because there might be too much variance. I mean, a big reason that total is 56 is because the Cowboys offense is really good too. Yeah. So that's not an automatic cross off because of the high total, but it, you know, it does knock it down a bit in the pecking order. Also seeing something like the, the Chiefs now, it looks like they're taking some money now. That number looks like it's tilting toward three. I'm seeing some two and a half minus 120 at the Westgate in Vegas. Uh, two and a half minus 115 seems to be the consensus. So I do prefer just a cleaner cross through three and seven, not starting at three or seven. Um, and if there's a favorite of two and a half, you know, minus 115 or minus 120, if you really like that underdog, sometimes the better play can be trying to find, you know, plus 130 or so on the money line where you can, or, or taking the points. I know one and two seem insignificant, but, um, you know, there is a reason that, you know, the odds makers in the market, you know, kind of beat these numbers into place where they net out. So yeah, mostly going to be crossing through three and seven in either direction. And there have been some weeks where as much as I like teasers, if there's, if there's only one really good leg, no need to force it with a second leg if there's not a good fit. And if there are some weeks where it seems like more than half the board is in teaser territory, then, you know, it might load up. So if there could be weeks where there are no teasers, there could be weeks with, you know, maybe a handful of them. So yeah. really trying to let the board come to me as much as I can. Yeah, and, and as you just said, it's, it's making sure you play it that right way, crossing through the threes and sevens. There is definitely wrong ways of playing it. And some people will do it. And as you say, you got money to it and they might get lucky. But um, there, there's definitely wrong ways of <laughs> wrong wrong ways of playing it. See, people sometimes go take teams up from uh, from 10 to 17. I've heard people doing that and it just it doesn't make it can come in, don't get me wrong. It's just, it's not an ideal way of, of playing that sort of market. Um, but everyone. Yeah, well, and some people last week, I've heard stories of people teasing once Big Ben was ruled out and the line came down to, I think the Steelers were minus six and a half at the time. Somebody teases them down just saying, hey, they just need to beat the yeah. Lions. And, you know, what are the odds of a tie? And I know the odds are really, even though the game did just tie, the odds are, you know, really, really low. But, you know, once we're, you know, not involving key numbers or worse yet, teasing through zero, yes, those will win sometimes. But when you're teasing, you're basically taking a two-team parlay and you're paying for those points. Um, so if they're not hitting a certain percentage of the time, then, uh, you know, trying to keep that long-term value in mind. So it can become a question of, do I just want to pick any one bet on the board right now with, you know, a good chance of winning? If I'm in Vegas on a Sunday, I just want to bet one game or maybe two games to make it more fun. Fine, throw a teaser on whatever you want. But long-term, the question is like, okay, do I want to win this bet? Or being mindful of the numbers involved and the price involved, do I want to position myself to be a winning better over time? Yeah, perfect, perfect explanation. Because it is becoming a lot bigger over in England and the UK that uh, a lot more people are looking into teasers. I've, I've looked into them now for the last few years, but I see it coming up a lot more on my timeline on Twitter and and that so it is catching on. So anyone listening, it, it's it's a really good good way of, of playing it and how you've just explained it there, Matt. It's perfect. Um, on to my selection, and it's using the Vikings as well. It's going to be the Vikings Packers under 49 and a half points. Now, this is kind of the play on how I feel the Packers are now as a team. I think they're very different to how we all imagine them to be, especially with Aaron Rodgers. But when you're going through the stats now, they're nearly in the bottom half of every offensive stat there is out there at the minute. Where it's defensively side, they're more up towards the top half of, of every stat. And I think it's maybe time to look at them in a little bit of a different light to how we, we always see it. 
I think when you see Rodgers and, and you hear of Aaron Rodgers and the, and the Packers offense straight away, you think he'll make throws, he'll make plays, score points and put them up. I just think they're very different now. They're the slowest team on the pace charts, which is always going to help on an unders play. If, if they're running 29, 30 seconds every play before they're snapping the ball, that can only help us a lot for, for any under plays. Aside from Adams, they don't really have a ton of weapons either. With uh, Tonyan going out, obviously now Aaron Jones is out. Uh, I think Dylan, is there a massive difference? Possibly not, but I still think it's, it's another less player you can not worry about. Um, Lazard, Cobb, nothing there really to move the needle too much for, for me. Um, I just, I think the Vikings, we know they want to run. They, they want to they get a lead and just run the ball, the Vikings do. And I think in this sort of game, I think they will. I think they'll, they'll get up and then Zimmer will just keep running Dalvin Cook straight into them. And probably the weakest part of the Packers is maybe their run defence. It's probably the one part of their defence that I could see the Vikings having the success. I'd imagine I'm looking at a 24-21 kind of game here preferably to the Vikings as well. So you're talking 45 points. We're getting 49. Um, also, the Packers are 8-2 on the under of 49 points this season. And the Vikings are 5-4. and four. But weirdly, all four games of the Vikings, uh, unders have been at home. So hopefully that uh, I haven't just jinxed that now and, and put the kiss of death on it. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, maybe- so under 49 and a half, I, I like that one. Maybe something to uh, the Vikings home game is trending under just a bit. I know home field advantage seems to be going the way of, you know, a, a myth, a thing of the past. But, you know, where it is still real, it seems like Minnesota would be near the top of that list. So defenses not being able to communicate quite as well with one another. That could be suppressing scoring output just a bit. And, uh, yeah, I like your point about when the Vikings take a lead just getting ultra conservative, even if that's not always optimal. Um, I know a lot of Vikings fans don't love that approach, but if you're playing the under, then it doesn't really matter if it's optimal. It's, it's good for, it's optimal for your total. So that's what you're looking to do. And that, that kind of burned me this past week with the Vikings chargers game. I liked the over quite a bit. Um, a, A lot of reasons, you know, pointed me in that direction. And then as I'm watching the game and the steam on the chargers just you know, I figured if that's right and the Vikings are trailing, they're going to have to throw the ball. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't right. And the Vikings were sitting on a lead for a while and just handoff after handoff. And, you know, that that's gold for an under. And I, I'll be rooting for you on this one, because just like we talked about with that Saints game was a yep. low total. I mean, if this 49 and a half, 49s we're seeing out there, if those are too high. Again, if that reduces the variance, magnifies the value of the points in the teaser leg, then um, in a way we're, we're kind of seeing this one eye to eye. So I like that. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Um, I know we spoke offline first. There's a, a couple of bets that you you haven't fired on as yet, but you're you're thinking of firing on. Um, any in particular? Yeah, one that I'm keeping a close eye on, especially over these next couple of days, because it's the Thursday nighter. Uh, I'm surprised to see seven for the Patriots Falcons game. I mean, I get it. The Falcons looked about as bad as they could last week, losing by 40. The Patriots almost won by 40. So certainly a big adjustment in order. But just the the part of me that's been doing this for more than 10 years sees a number, you know, go up to a full touchdown and just automatically wants to take that back on the Falcons uh, on just, you know, almost principle with this number involved, if nothing else. 
Um, but on the other end, I mean, we talked about the Patriots are that team that I think their season long numbers and their record to date doesn't, you know, paint them in the proper light. I think they're really on the upswing and I think there's valid reason for it. The way that Belichick is navigating the arc of this season and developing this roster in real time. So um, gosh, if I had to bet that game right now, I would, I would be inclined to take the seven, but um, I'm not sure I get there just out of respect for the Patriots and the direction that they're headed. The numbers say seven, but trying to read into, you know, the more qualitative aspect of the way the Patriots are trending not sure I want to step in front of them. And then I guess almost bookending the week, going ahead to Sunday night. Um, I know plenty not to love about the Chargers as we touched on earlier with some things they're doing. And I mean, now this number, it looks like it's up to six. So that ship has probably sailed. Yeah. It, it, you know, just earlier this morning, my time on Tuesday, it was in no man's land at four and a half. Yeah. Um, at six, I'm probably not going to touch it. I know there are Steelers injury concerns. What was giving me pause was what we talked about with the Chargers scheme. It seems like so much talent and Almost no matter how much yardage they put up, it's hard to turn that yardage into points the way they tend to operate offensively. Um, one angle that some in the market are probably aware of that I do try to get in on all else equal, East Coast teams playing in primetime against West Coast teams. Um, you know, there, there's a body clock advantage that I think is much larger than what gets talked about a lot more. When a West Coast team's playing on the East Coast, they say, oh, early kickoff, that body yeah. clock disadvantage. I mean, right now, I, I think West Coast teams playing on the East Coast at 10 a.m. Pacific time, that's that's not a huge deal anymore. The market pretty efficiently accounts for that. But sometimes in these primetime games, um, you know, in the fourth quarter, it's going to be what probably a little after 8 p.m. in the West Coast. That's after 11 for the Steelers. It's a small thing, but I, I think it matters a little bit. And I think it's not priced in the same way it gets priced in when a West Coast team plays early. So when we see these East Coast teams in primetime against West Coast teams, that always at least has me leaning in one direction right off the bat. Um, but again, with the Chargers steamed up to six, I know there's, you know, injury concerns around the Steelers. We don't know if Big Ben's going to be back. We know Mika Fitzpatrick's out. And um, it, it just seems a little bit murky from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, with this just having gone to six, now that's really a nudge to, to probably back off. But um, if we saw it more in the four and a half range, was hoping to maybe see it trickle back down a bit, although probably not too many people in the marketplace eager to back the Steelers after what we've seen from them recently. Yeah, and, and that's right. And the Steelers are one of them teams under Tomlin. As, as underdogs, they always seem to pull out a performance. As heavy favourites, they always seem to let you down. They just, they, they've consistently under Tomlin, uh, I mean, against the Bears, they didn't cover as big, big favourites. I know, obviously, Rudolph coming in, for the game against Lions, but again, another heavy favourite, even with him in there, and that they've they've ended up tying the game. And then when they're underdogs, as we've seen at the start of the season, going into Buffalo and winning, um, they beat the Browns, didn't they, not long ago as, as underdogs? And mm-hmm. yeah, they're one of them teams that I hate to see when they're a big underdog or a big favourite because they they just seem to either let you down or um, or come out and, and get a... Uh, get either a win or a cover as a big underdog. So, yeah, I think you're right. When it's getting up to six, I think it's probably moved too much for me that I would want yeah. any involvement. And it's going to be, you know, a home game as far as the crowd's concerned for the Steelers. The yeah. terrible towels oh, yeah. will be flying at SoFi Stadium. Um, one more thing on the Steelers from that game last week, probably my, my favorite stat that I uncovered as I was just doing my instant analysis of week 10, more turnovers for the Steelers than yards per pass for the Lions in that game. I'm not sure how often we see that. 
But, you know, the adage goes for a lot of games. It's a shame somebody had to lose. Uh, This is a case where it would have been a shame if either team had to win that game. So it seems like the tie was the proper result. (laughs) It probably was. That is crazy. Um, A couple couple of other games. One that I was looking at possibly getting involved in was the Colts getting seven and a half against Buffalo. It seems to have come back down to a seven in places now. There there might be some seven and a half. Any, Any thoughts on that game? Matt, you got any opinion at yeah, all? Yeah, so, so in my case, um, and if there is anybody else out there who has already gotten some exposure on Minnesota, Buffalo is another team that I thought, okay, at that number, seven and a half or, you know, a heavily juiced minus seven, that, that has pretty good teaser potential. But, I, you know, I think back to what we've seen from the Bills, they haven't really had any super convincing wins over good teams. And yet I, I wouldn't dispute anybody who said they're the best team in the league right now. It's just hard to know what to make of them. Similarly with the Colts, I mean, they were really close to beating the Ravens. They, you know, may well have beaten the Titans at home if, you know, Wentz doesn't have the left-handed, you know, yeah. pick six in the end zone. So, um, you know, the Colts, another team that, you know, we saw them just stomp the 49ers in a monsoon on Sunday night. So we've seen such uneven performances with that. Game, that, that kept me off of the bills as a teaser leg. Cause again, when teasing, I look for reduced variance where possible. And just with both of these teams, it's a bit of Jekyll and Hyde. So um, from that standpoint, I, I was thinking, you know, the bills, a, a worthy teaser partner with the saints, if Minnesota's, you know, already, you know, a side that you bet, or, or you don't want to tease them, but Thinking about the the Colts being seven and a half point underdogs to anybody right now, um, the way we've seen, you know, even the elite teams in the league perform lately, I don't feel so comfortable on that. I know there are some sharp people on Buffalo, so I respect it, um, but I'm just not comfortable enough to get too involved uh, in this game either way at this stage. What has you look in the Colts way? Any Anything from the way these teams match up or just anything you've seen um, more recently from either one of them? I think, I think a lot of some of it... I know you can only beat who's who's in front of you, but I don't think the Bills have have looked anything too too special. I mean, the, the win against the Chiefs, they were really good, but the Chiefs were, were in a mess at that time. And I'm still not fully sure we're out of that mess. But um, but then they went to and lost to the Titans. I know week one was early. They lost to the Steelers. And then after that, they've beat Miami. They've beat the Jets. They've, I just, I don't, I don't know if it's more who they've played and a lot of these stats are, are standing out a lot more. And it just feels a bit big when you're getting the seven and a half on the Colts, the way Jonathan Taylor's running the ball. I think Wentz, as much as, yeah, he can be a bit, uh, a bit, uh, some of them interceptions, like you say, are a bit scary at times. I also think Josh Allen hasn't exactly set the world alight this season either. I just I think that's why I think it's more the spread being as big and and who the bills have beat is where it was coming into my thoughts. But you make a good point. It's just whether it's strong enough to pull the trigger on that that sort of bet. Um, I'm just not sure if it is. I'm not sure if there's enough in it to to base it on just their strength of schedule and who they've beat when all you can do is beat who's who's in front of you to a certain extent. Um. Another game, Washington, Carolina. Obviously, we've got Cam Newton coming back. Um, I fully expect that he is. I, I don't know if he's been named starter, but it's, it's near enough certain, isn't it, that he, he'll be starting this week? Yeah. And in this case, I, I guess circling back to one other thing we talked about earlier, I kind of wish that Washington didn't have, you know, 
all that positive regression come in one game against Tampa Bay this past Sunday? I'm curious as to how much higher this line could be. Uh, really good field day for the feel good day for the Panthers this past Sunday, beating the Cardinals. But um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that I adjust my outlook for them too much based on that game. I mean, Arizona's B team looked the part in that one. Yeah. And with Cam Newton, just not sure what he has left in the tank. So with this number now being north of three, definitely a lean for me at this point toward Washington. That that's probably if if there's one side that I'm looking at that I haven't bet yet, that's probably next in line. Um, I still fully understand, you know, losing Chase Young, not having a great defense. Yeah. If Cam Newton brings anything, you know, exciting to the Panthers in his return, then that could possibly spiral. Um, so haven't done enough of my research yet. I guess that's one of the trade-offs doing the, the early value NFL yeah. podcast is knowing that like, you know, some of the work is in its early stages. So I, I like the general approach to get ahead of some numbers and, and some of the best bets can be found early in the week. Um, but sometimes this is another game, kind of like the last one where you mentioned looking the Colts way, but you're not sure yet. Washington is that team for me that um, I may well bet them, um, but I just want to make sure that I've accounted for, for everything before pulling the trigger. But at three and a half, I think that hook looks pretty enticing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the thing with the early value is trying to get some. But as you say, there's plenty of times that can place bets Friday, Saturday, Sunday as well. And there's plenty of value there at, at that point. Um, I, th- I think you're right. I think I think the Washington game, see, obviously you've got the recency bias now of Cam last week thinking, oh, his back is running a touchdown, he's through for one. But to me, I'd look back at the Patriots and his throwing wasn't good at all back then. Mm-hmm. And it what what has fully changed? Maybe is maybe he's more healed. Maybe he was hurt more than maybe that we fully know. Um, Washington are actually quite good at stopping the run. Um, Chase Young's going to be a big loss to to that, and maybe that will show up maybe more in this game. But I think I think they can do okay stopping the run, and I think they'll be okay putting putting up points against this Carolina defense. So I think you're right. I think at the plus three and a half, I think. I'll be leaning to Washington. It's it's trying to factor in the crowd and Cam going back to Carolina and what adrenaline that sort of gives them going into the game. And it's the the thing you can't you can't handicap, unfortunately. What what that boost is is gonna do to it. I just think at the minute, three and a half for a Carolina team that I'm not rating as very good at all feels a feels a lot as well. Yeah, and one thing that might balance out, uh, you know, Cam and his return and a lot of the excitement, if that can elevate the rest of the Panthers team a bit, I'm not sure if there's a coach in the NFL that knows Cam Newton better than Ron Rivera. So that, that might mean something. So, yeah, a lot to consider here. Not endorsing it yet, but uh, definitely giving Washington a good look. Of course, yeah. I forgot, of course, Ron Rivera going back, uh, going back as well. Yeah, so that would be interesting. Um, finally, Game the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, Cincinnati coming off their bye, as we sort of said earlier about Las Vegas and how are they going to go into a bit of free fall here? Do you think, Matt, or do you think that they bounce back and they uh, they put one on Cincinnati? It's quite a low spread. Only uh, well, Raiders are actually underdogs at home plus one at the minute. Yeah, I'll kind of split the difference on the answer. I, I would expect the offense uh, to balance back a bit. This Bengals defense was one of the very pleasant surprises through the first one. I think it was 
seven weeks when I think it was week eight, when the Mike White experience uh, worked against them. And then, um, you know, what they, what they showed um, the next week going into their buy was also not all that promising. So I like the opportunity for the Raiders offense to get things back on track on the other side of the ball. I also like what the Bengals offense could possibly do in this one. Max Crosby has been so impressive to watch this year. He and uh, Yannick Ngakwe both just a two headed monster with that pass rush, but kind of a lot to be desired beyond that on the Raiders defense. Um, This is another one kind of like that Chargers Steelers game we were talking about earlier. Uh, It's moved quite recently. So the Chargers from four and a half to minus six, this total up from the key number of 49, announcing 50 is a consensus. So uh, maybe the boat, uh, you know, the boat may have sailed, the ship may have sailed on that one. So I, I could still only look toward the over. I hadn't played it yet myself. Um, Totals are not my, my forte. I, tend to fare quite a bit better with sides and, um, you know, teasers and props, you can quite often find some really good value. So totals, I, I try to be quite selective. Sometimes that means I might miss a good bet like this if the 49 sails on me. Um, but I yeah can't disagree with the market, knocking this one up to 50. I guess 51 is the next key number. So if somebody really likes the over up to 50 and a half, I still think it warrants um, some pretty strong consideration. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's two, two good offenses there. Obviously, the Deshaun Jackson will be taking the Henry Ruggs role. I'm not sure when he caught that pass on Sunday night, it looked like he might have tried to uh, spin around and return it back for six when he, uh, when he actually fumbled the ball. I don't know why. I'm not sure where, where he was going to, but I'm not going to complain. It helped out for my chief. So I won't complain. And then obviously you got Chase Young and Cincinnati coming into town that, like you say, have sort of had the Mike White game where they dropped off a bit and, and that, but I think they'll put up points on the Raiders as well. And I think you're right. I think before it got to 51, if if I wanted to bet the over, now's the time to bet it because it could carry on creeping up just that little bit more into this game. Um, Matt, any other games you wanted to talk about before a couple of questions? Oh man, looking up and down the board now. Um, no games this week. I am waiting. I feel like I'm waiting to step in against Tennessee again. I had to sweat it. The Saints came through last week. I just feel like at eight and two, the Titans are a good team. I want to give them credit. They are a good team. I think they're masquerading as a great team right now, but they're playing Houston at home this week. So yeah, I, I don't want Houston to be the hill I die on trying to, trying to fade the Titans. So maybe we can root for a good Tennessee blowout against perhaps the worst team in the league this week. Uh, and then put a pin in that for the time that we see some week 12 openers pop. Yeah, that's right. I think I I did look at it and I thought, do I really want to bet the Texans 10 and a half? And I just, I couldn't bring myself to, uh, to doing it. I was on the Saints as well last week. And I think you're right. I think there'll be better places to play against the Titans going forward than, than this week. As you say, in some ways, I hope that they win by 30, 35 points and we get maybe a nice number going forward best way to be um on to a couple of questions then matt a team your team that's most surprised you this season and uh for good and for bad hmm i'll think about it for just a sec yeah, here yeah. i mean if you asked me this 24 hours ago i probably would have said san francisco for bad and then they yeah. go and, and show us that on monday night um i i was I thought maybe a bit higher on them than the market. And even the market was quite bullish on them heading into the season. 
Um, but once yep. again, they just seem not to be able to stay healthy. And we've really started to see some red flags with Kyle Shanahan's acumen as a head coach that hadn't really flared up before this season. Again, they, they gave a great effort last night. And if they can keep that up at, at four and five in a, in a very muddled, you know, tail end of the NFC playoff picture, um, I, I don't think that they're dead by any stretch. And they're, they're in a position to get another one this week if they pretty much just show up against Jacksonville. But uh, we saw how that went for Buffalo and Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. So um, overall, yeah, the Niners, I, I still certainly had higher hopes from them than staring at possibly five and five through 10 games. Uh, on the plus side, uh, yeah, I got to go with Arizona. I mean, I, I was yeah. on them in week one, and I thought the issue could be, you know, Kyler Murray fully healthy week one, not the same as Kyler Murray getting worn down over the course of a season. And I mean, we've seen that play out. He's missed a couple of games now. We're sure not, we're still not sure if he'll play this week, but even without him, I know that game against the Panthers was pretty ugly this past Sunday, but what they showed against the Niners uh, prior to that was really impressive. And we, you know, we know that it should just be a matter of time until Murray and Hopkins are back in there. And at eight and two, I, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I did not see that coming. Even if Kyler were fully healthy through 10 games, I, I wouldn't have given eight and two, you know, much of a shot of happening. So to see the way the rest of that team has come together, the defense um, really making strides, even though JJ Watts, you know, been gone for a while now. Um, yeah, just that whole team. Uh, maybe I was selling Cliff Kingsbury short when it came to his abilities as a head coach, because even without Kyler at full strength, and then when Kyler has been at full strength, they just kind of look like world beaters. So um, yeah, sticking in the NFC West, I guess, for the, the team that I've been a bit surprised by on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I think I think it be everyone's is probably Arizona, and as you say, more as much as you knew the offense would be quite good, but the defense has been really good, especially the uh, secondary uh, has been really good. Um, I expect obviously when Kyler and and Hopkins comes back, that'll help Chase Edmonds as well. Um, so yeah, I think eight and two in the division they're in as well. I, I thought they would all sort of cut each other's throats, and they've really put a stamp on it and. They could go on and play in the division and, and maybe more. Um, is there anyone that you would want to be ahead of in the market at the minute going into the back end of this season, back end now of the season? Is there anyone that you've got a team where you want to be ahead of them? Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to be ahead of the market if possible, fading Tennessee after this week, uh, as we touched on a couple minutes yeah. ago. On the other side of things, um, yeah, I mean, a couple of teams where it's tough now. I, I think that, uh, you know, Drew was onto something last week with the Chiefs, but, you know, with a 41 to 14 blowout, you know, those windows of opportunity can close really fast these days. Um, similarly, I mean, last week, Patriots taking on the Browns. I teased Cleveland, so I was on the wrong end of that one, but those were two teams that I wanted to be in play on, um, given, you know, their current state in the market and what their records for the season had said to date. Now with Baker Mayfield getting banged up again and the way that went down, um, I don't feel comfortable staying with Cleveland and with the Patriots, a 45 to seven win. Again, it's, it's just such a big statement that it's hard to be ahead of the market when everybody sees yeah. that. So um, no clear answers right now. Where I'd say, Oh, for sure. In the next couple of weeks, I will have bets on or against team X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, Kansas city and, and new England kind of looked too good this past week to say that on the positive side, but definitely uh, going to keep a close eye on what the Titans look like this Sunday, hopefully pretty impressive against Houston. Um, and see if we don't get a good window to play against them in week 12. Yeah. And, and going into the, um, going into week 11, I mean, 
how many teams do, do you think actually have a chance of winning this Super Bowl? Because at the minute, I'm up to maybe nine, ten teams that realistically now yeah. could, could win it. It's such a such a mess there. In we thought the AFC was a mess, but now the NFC is sort of trying to catch them up. Yeah, I think it might almost be a shorter answer to say who doesn't have a chance at this stage. I mean, it seems like yeah, most of the AFC is, is stuck on five wins right now. And then the NFC, especially with what we saw from Tampa and the Rams this past week, uh, you know, the Niners getting a big win. Some teams that seemed like a lock have some questions. Some teams that seemed like we might want to leave them for dead and not quite ready for that yet. So it's, yeah, it is just so wide open. Um, it, it might take too long to list all the teams left that still have a good chance. but. Um, as you were asking that question, one thing I did take a quick look at, um, yeah, next week. So Tennessee plays at New England. Currently, I'm seeing look-aheads. Again, the soft number is not available everywhere, low limits, all that. So grain of salt, yeah. Patriots minus two and a half. I don't think that's going to be available be when there. this line reopens yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm not sure that'll be there. Yeah, yeah, it's one maybe to get ahead of already. Um, two and a half. What you say, I mean... In some ways, you're hoping that uh, the Texans end up keeping it close. Then you, you're definitely going to see a lot of people firing into New England. Um, yeah. In, in that in that one, if the Titans win by a lot, does it change? Not really, because they're expected to win by a lot. Yeah, so I, I just even even if the Titans win that one by yeah. forty, I mean, we'll see if this recent team on the Patriots is correct on Thursday night, and then it's okay. Yeah. New England on a roll with long rest as the home team. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just struggle. If everything goes right for Tennessee and everything goes wrong for New England this week, then that number looks about right. And if we see yeah. anything different, then, um, yeah, I, yeah, I see a lot to like about the Patriots. So that's probably my my first move once we wrap this up is to see what I can get down on it at this point. Yeah. Uh, just type that bankroll for a bit more than a week. Yeah, definitely. No, I think you're right. Um, okay, Matt, before I quickly let you off, obviously something I brought in um, after you'd been on a quick question and answer around and that few quick questions that um, we'll, we'll ask you. So nothing too too bad or nothing too hard. Maybe some embarrassing ones, maybe. <laughs> um, right, we'll go. Favorite drink? Oh man, got Obviously, it's going to be a good craft beer. Uh, if I had to pick my favorite, it's it's a tough question, but I'll go. With, there's an IPA called Julius by Treehouse Brewing in Massachusetts, a little outside of Boston. It's uh, one of the OGs in terms of the New England IPA style, also known as a hazy IPA. It's just super citrusy, a little bit of like mango, pineapple, so also some tropical vibes. Comes in, I think it's 6.8% ABV, but it's, it masks that so well. And some of the hazy IPAs, as good as they can be, they're almost a little bit too full-bodied or too sweet to, to cover up that alcohol content. This one, it's it's just so like it feels light enough and you know you could have like four of them and and probably feel fine in terms of not being bloated or full um it's just it's delicious and i think they've just knocked it out of the park on every possible level so yeah an ipa called julius by treehouse brewing gets my vote as the favorite drink nice favorite holiday destination i'll go with barcelona my wife and i honeymooned there and it was just such an awesome place to spend some time. She really wanted to go to a beach for our honeymoon. I had done well in some Spanish classes in middle school and high school. So I thought I was smarter something saying we should go to Spain. Um, didn't have to speak much Spanish there, fortunately. But yeah, yeah great beaches, really cool architecture. In fact, we're looking to get back when Sagrada Familia is completed. That's kind of the crown 
individual Gaudi's architecture across Barcelona. Okay. Uh, they should be getting pretty close there. But just, yeah, very walkable, great food, really cool architecture. If you're into that sort of thing, great beaches, kind of feels like uh, a lot of good stuff for everybody. And, and the weather is just beautiful. So Barcelona gets the nod. Nice, love it. Favorite ice cream flavor? <sighs> okay, so uh, I guess widely available cookies and cream. There's one that I've seen now from a couple spots, uh, aside from uh, this one one spot called Lappert's uh, out here in the U.S. makes a flavor called Cookie Monster. It's weird. It's so it's blue and it looks like blue cookies and cream, but they also have cookie dough in it. So it's kind of like it's always a tough answer for me between cookies and cream and cookie dough. And I guess they call it Cookie Monster, color it blue, so it's like your Sesame Street character. But really, it's that perfect marriage with both the cookies and cream and the cookie dough involved. So if you can find it, uh, go that route. If not, can't go wrong with some cookies and cream. Goodness, my girls would love that. Well, especially my youngest. Yeah, especially the blue. Well, when you're out here, yeah, you know, when you're out here, you'll have a chance to get your hands on it. You'll be uh, running, running around Disney for about three hours. <laughs> who, was, who was your prom date? Oh, man. Uh, there were a couple of them, I, I guess. The most interesting <laughs> one would be uh, I had a friend, Erica, who I went to the prom with uh, one year where I actually had a, a girlfriend at the time we went to the prom that was not Erica. Um, basically, it was interesting timing. I started a relationship just before prom and had made plans to go, you know, with a friend yeah. uh, a few weeks prior to that. Went ahead and honored the commitment. But yeah, when it came to all the dancing and partying, uh, an interesting dynamic, but she was a great friend and we had a really good time. So I guess that everybody's got that kind of awkward high school story around the problem. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, favorite music. Oh, definitely classic rock. Uh, also into some good country. I, I would say uh, as far as classic rock goes, um, probably going to make myself seem older than I am, but Creedence Clearwater Revival, you know, any good CCR always hits the spot for me. Led Zeppelin, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, uh, could keep going there. As far as country goes, uh, really into Chris Stapleton. I really like what Darius Rucker has done with country. It's cool how he's reinvented himself after, you know, everything he did with Hootie. Um, you know, Zach Brown Band's one of my favorite concerts I've seen at the Hollywood Bowl. So, yeah, I guess the, uh, the as the saying goes, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. <laughs> I do. I must admit, I like country music. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, favorite Tommy, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I don't want this to sound uh, sacrilege since we're talking during football season. I love football, but there's just something about summer. Um, there's maybe it's being in California too with the beach. It never gets too hot. I mean, it's pleasant here year round, but just summertime, um, you know, uh, working a day job. It's like summer Fridays. Everything's just, you know, kicking it back. That, that whole California stereotype, the laid back lifestyle, the sunshine, the palm trees, it just, it's out in full force and you know, I've experienced it every year of my life to this point, and it never gets old. Nice. Favorite movie? Major League. Yeah, okay. no hesitation there. Um, again, I know this is a football show, but that is just, it, it's too funny. I, I can't believe the cast they have in that movie. Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, uh, you know, Tom Berenger is the catcher holding the team together. Corbin Burnson, I didn't even know he, what, was he in like L.A. Law or something? He was like a big actor outside of Major League, and I just know so many of these guys from that movie. Um, yeah. it's just hilarious. It's a, it's a fun story. Um, oh, the guy, there's a guy who is, um, he's the father figure in the, the sitcom, the middle. I also think he's in, uh, 
I think he's in scrubs, but there's actually like one of the random construction workers, just one of the yeah. cutaways saying like, oh, this team sucks. Who the hell are these guys when they release the roster? So many people have, you know, from the big roles to the small roles in that movie have just spawned off in so many other areas. But yeah, if you ask me, it all comes back to Major League. Is, it, is that Madonna in that as well, or am I making that up? Oh my goodness. If she is, then I have been asleep at the wheel. Well, I'm going to try to fact check this in real time. I'm trying to think that, uh, that she, w- she was in it as a... As oh, are we thinking... That- Am I thinking of a different uh, a league of their own? Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Like you say, it's so so long, so old since I've seen that. I'm not sure. I can't remember. If yeah, I think uh, I think she was in a league of their own. Oh, okay. If she's in major league, then uh, I, I would be yeah. a fool to say it's my favorite movie and not know it. But yeah, a league of their own, <laughs> no. also a classic, and uh, yeah, okay. also Tom Hanks, Rosie O'Donnell. Um, right. That's yeah, that's a classic too. Uh, podcast that you're not involved with that you'd recommend for people to listen? Oh, man. Uh, I should have a better answer to this because I have asked it myself to some of my guests. Also, by the way, if we're talking a league of their own, uh, Gina Davis cannot go unmentioned. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll close loop properly there. Um, hmm. I know you've had Rob on with Circles Off. Drew does yep. great work with the Deep Dive, the Matchbook NFL betting podcast. Um, one that I, I really like that it's, I think it's popular, but perhaps not as popular as it should be. I'll go ahead and mention Adam Chernoff. He hosts a podcast called The Simple Handicap. Um, and I, he just works through the full board every weekday morning, also releases an episode on Sunday nights after that week's action is wrapped up. And he just looks at things. It's not overly simplistic, but he also doesn't overcomplicate it. Some people will just throw out metrics, EPA, DVOA, this and that. And it sounds really smart, but you can almost tell they don't know what they're talking about from a predictive betting standpoint. Adam does know what he's talking about. And he packages things in a way that's, um, you know, good enough to, uh, I think, sway some pretty savvy bettors and also simple enough to relate to just about anybody if they're just getting into this and the work he does on Twitter to support the podcast was a weekly betting thread, um, you know, just breakdowns again in Twitter, you've got to keep it oversimplified because you're capped at what 280 characters um, the way he uses his Twitter profile to augment the podcast, the simple handicap. Um, I think this NFL season has probably been second to none honorable mention hot read hits. It's a podcast that a uh, professional better uh, Tommy, the Hitman, is doing. Okay. Um, and the Hitman's built up a bit of a name for himself through involvement with pregame.com over the years yeah. and a weekly best bet on the dream preview, which is a massive show. But yeah, now he's involved with um, an organization called bet prep doing a podcast called hot read hits. And he's also going through each game every week and also dropping in some really good prop bets. So just a good well-rounded betting approach from him. So yeah. Simple Handicap by Adam Chernoff and Hot Read Hits with uh, The Hitman as the star. I think two that are fairly well-known, but uh, probably not quite popular enough yet. Yeah, yeah. Adam's been on fire this whole season. And uh, Hitman, I I spoke to before the season started about coming on. And we said we'd try and work it at some point. So hopefully he'll he'll be able to come on at at some point during the season if he gets the time. But yeah, I hadn't heard that podcast, I must admit. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? I know most people probably know from the first time, but hopefully the listeners have gone up since then that some more won't have. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Twitter at mlandes18, M-L-A-N-D-E-S-1-8, and uh, hosting the Props and Hops podcast. Uh, that drops in the US, usually Thursday evenings. I record during Thursday Night Football, so it helps me keep my sanity if the Ravens are blowing up my teaser leg before the week's even started. 
I'm busy recording, so it can't take up too much of the consciousness. And then the Bet US NFL show. I'm live on YouTube with Pro Betters Las Vegas, Chris and Scott Cohen. Uh, in the US, that would be every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern and every Friday at noon Eastern. So Tuesdays, we kind of take our early look at the upcoming week. And then Fridays, we do a deep dive on every game. Perfect. Uh, thank you for coming on again, Matt. Really appreciate it. Work you're doing is perfect. Keep killing it. Appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, thanks, Ross. Right back at you. Love listening to the show, and it's really fun to be a part of it whenever you want to bring me back. Cheers. I'll be back on Friday with our Player Props podcast. But good luck with all your selections. And if you can subscribe, rate, review, it'd be a great help. Thanks for listening. Speak soon.